Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 293 of Linux in the Hampshire. We are finally back at it. And it's kind of surprising that there's an episode tonight because I had an engine torn apart an hour ago. Uh, Bill is in West Virginia, um, zipping up tents, last I heard. And um, I don't know what Cheryl's been doing all day. Uh, Cheryl's been, like, running errands and doing her nails and all Okay. All right. Those kinds of things. But anyway, we are here to do an episode. And it's our short topic episode, so we should probably get to it. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. Thank and you. I'm Bill, NE4RD. <laughs> Thank you for what doing that, that right in the middle of my <laughs> right in the middle of the hey, <laughs> what? You have to make this interesting, right? <laughs> I thought you were done. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was drowning there for a second. So. <laughs> well, I, I do tighten up the pauses. You could have you could have just waited a second. It would have been all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, the delay is not as much as it normally is, I guess, from yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yes, episode number 293 is the short topic episode. So we're going to get into some short topics. Uh, we'll do some amateur radio, some Linuxy and open sourcey things, and then we'll combine them together in the Linux and the or Linux and the Hamshack segment toward the toward the end there before we get to our social media roundup and all that. But we're going to talk. Well, we're not going to talk about Bill's going to talk about the World Scout Jamboree under at least for ham radio purposes under the call sign NA one WJ out there in busy West Virginia, which has been going on for over a week now. And so let, let us know what's going on out there in the world scouting world. Jamboree yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm out here in West Virginia and it's hot. Hot, so hot. <laughs> Living in a tent and then working in a tent and then walking from tent to tent. It is uh it's exciting stuff. No, we've uh we've been having a lot of fun out here. Um there's uh forty about forty five, forty six thousand scouts out here. From over 150 countries, and uh, we we of course have about uh, geez, uh, I, I would guess somewhere between 8,000 and 9,000 staff, um, you know, handling all of the uh, all of the program areas and stuff like that. I mean, our area only has 32 staff members, but uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here to keep 46,000 people entertained. So uh, yeah, the the amateur radio station here at NA1WJ has been uh, pretty active. I did not pull the logs today yet, so I don't have today's number. But uh, let's say we're somewhere in the three thousand QSO range. Um, we've done about three thousand QSOs, and we've definitely had about twenty five, twenty six hundred kids uh, come through the station so far. So that's uh, that's good numbers. We uh, we're running the program uh, times uh, in the station from like around 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Been running it since um, 
Well, officially when the uh, Danbury opened on the 22nd. And we'll be continuing to run it until uh, about midday on the 1st. I think they officially closed the programs at 3 p.m. on August 1st. And that's when we'll start breaking down the station and we'll no longer be on the air. Um, but uh, if you're listening to us live or uh, listen to us on the radio, you can still catch us on the radio. We're, we're trying to operate the station uh, at night as well. That's why I'm here. I'm actually at the tent where we have the station. Here with uh, uh, Bill Bode is also here tonight, uh, N4WEB from the Tampa Amateur Radio Club. He's, uh, he's operating 20. I can hear him. <laughs> you might be able to hear him, too, through the gate. <laughs> he's uh, all about uh, 40 foot away from me, but uh, uh, we're in a closed tent, a closed vinyl tent, so it's uh, very echoey in here and everything else. But, uh, yeah, we've had a, had a good time. The station's been operating quite well. We've had a little bit of intermod issues. Uh, with uh, the stations, I mean, obviously, you put uh, uh, eight stations right next to each other, uh, you're going to have some issues. <laughs> we found uh, our 30-meter station was getting into our 17-meter and our 20-meter station because of uh, loose coax. So always check your fittings and check your connections. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the new antennas that we have here. We have <coughs> Thank the, you for that advice, Ranger Bill. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> check those coax. Check those coaxes, kids. Uh, yeah, it's like crazy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, our new antennas have been doing great. Uh, I was just on the 40-meter station uh, just before I came on to the podcast here, and um getting great reports uh, all over the place so uh so they're doing really well those are from uh, jk antennas and of course we have all the icom rigs here and uh they've been operating pretty well with no problems with them you know pretty well expected they're you know the ic 7300s are pretty bulletproof uh, uh and i'm surprised they operate so well so close together <laughs> you know um with a direct conversion receiver it's you know probably not the best case scenario to slam slam them all within five foot of each other all the coaxes within inches of each other and the antennas within you know 60 feet of each other so uh, worst case scenario and uh, they're still working pretty well for the station here We're, we've been active on uh, pretty much uh, all bands uh, yeah, i would i would say not so much 80 80's been kind of flat for us a little noisy and uh, not too much activity um, pursuing on there we might try again tonight but 40 and up have, have been pretty good we've been operating 40 20 30 17 i think we dabbled a little bit in 15 i don't believe anybody's gotten on 10 yet uh six meters been hot we actually participated in the cq worldwide vhf contest and uh put in quite a few cues on that on six meters so uh so that was done uh, while we were here as well we have a have about a five element six meter beam up on top of the uh 40 meter rotatable dipole and a lot of fun, a lot of amateur radio fun. And uh, uh, if you want to check out some of the social media stuff that I've been doing while I've here, been here, check out the uh, NA1WJ underscore scouting on Twitter or uh, the Facebook uh, the Facebook uh, for K2BSA.scouting on Facebook. Uh, we had the Aris contact. Uh, first time I've ever been part of one of those, uh, the ISS station. ISS, uh, sorry, the ISS contact uh, through amateur radio. And uh, that was interesting. Uh, we got uh, definitely a lot of activity on our video on that. Um, uh, it went it went off pretty well. They did have to switch frequencies real quick at the beginning so we can get the uh, contact going. <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, it worked out really well. The kids uh, kids are really interested in it, and it was it was interesting to see like the it was very hot when we started it. <laughs> Everybody looked really sad. 
<laughs> and then as the contact started to happen, you could start to see the change in expression in their faces. They were all of a sudden, well, okay, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so we had about 250 plus uh, kind of gathered around that area. We were on a big stage with a big uh, iMag, uh, <clears throat> fancy outdoor TV thingy, Merbobber, uh, to show video and everything else. And we had a you know, uh, the display of the, where the ISS was passing over the station because we had to use a Belgian station to uh, actually pass the traffic. <clears throat> and we, we got it via Telebridge. But uh, that, that worked pretty well. And uh, I've seen a, quite a few videos uh, that were posted back to us of people that were picking up the ISS going over Europe while they were talking to us. So you can find all those, you know, out there in YouTube and, and stuff like that. But, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We launched uh, four balloons here. Those are up. Uh, actually, two of them went down because they haven't come, talked back. But uh, I think we still have two of them up. NA1WJ7 and 8 are still, uh, still floating. It's nighttime now, so obviously they won't be uh, digipeding anywhere. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll see them in daylight. We'll see where they're at. We uh, last saw the 7-1 up there by uh, um, New Hampshire or Maine or something like that off the coast. And uh, the other one uh, we launched today is somewhere uh, somewhere in West Virginia. It was kind of went went east and came back west. We thought it was just going to come back to us, but uh, <laughs> 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 we, we, who knows? <laughs> so we got all those videos up on the, on the YouTube channel as well. I guess I should have mentioned that, the K2BSA YouTube channel. Um, check out those. The, the last one, the one they did this morning, I was actually in the tent for, so someone else recorded it. And of course, uh, they, uh, they actually had some, an incident with the balloon. It's kind of funny. So, uh, I, I suggest you go to YouTube and watch it. It's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't tease it too much. I mean, don't, yeah. don't give away anything. No, no, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, check that last one out. That's the NA1WJ-8 video. Uh, it's it's probably worth a, a laugh or two, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm uh, I'm ready for it to end, though. I'm I'm ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so when does it end, and when do you get home? So it ends, like I say, uh, the program ends officially on the first at 3 p.m. Uh, we'll begin breakdown at that point. Uh, most likely, we'll have the station completely broken down uh, that evening, and then all we'll have left is our antennas. Uh, which will happen uh, the next uh, day, the second. So I'm planning on getting out of here on the second, which means I should be home, uh, you know, the, uh, let's say the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Safely, I'll be home the fourth. I'm assuming I'm going to have to uh, spend a couple nights in a hotel, probably the first one, just to scrub all the scum off me. Because <laughs> I won't be able to sit in the car by myself for that long. <laughs> I'd be like, "What's that smell in the car?" Oh, oh that's wait, me. that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that'll be my first duty. I'll, uh, I'll probably go find a hotel close by within like four or five hours and shower up, and then see how far I get on the way home. So yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you can work us, get on the air and work us. Uh, I'll be on uh, forty meters tonight. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to try and work you. I mean, it's going to be too late for anyone else who's listening to this after the fact, but you know, yeah, maybe too bad. You well, I it. mean, it'll go out tomorrow, so there will still be a, technically a day and a half or so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for people to try and work the NA one WJ if they, if they so desire. Yeah. They get a QSL card and everything else. Just uh, do a SAZE or, uh, I think we're doing OQRS too for the other people that don't, don't want to bother sending uh SAZE, you know, save whatever. I think there are $2 OQRSs, So, you know, it's pretty cheap. All right. Very cool. Anything else you want to say about the WSJ before we uh, move on? No, I can't think of anything specifically. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Just try to work us. All right. Fantastic. Have you guys been on the, um, 
like the DMR and the Jambo Echo Link and all that stuff? Yeah, we've been on uh, Jambo Echo Link and we've been on D Star. I think there's been a few DMR contacts logged, but uh, not officially from here because we don't really have any DMR gear here on any of the stations. I think that was from the the guys with their um, their little walkie or what you know handy talkies. Because there's a DMR repeater here, but I have absolutely no idea how any of that stuff works. So <laughs> I barely understand D Star. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not the right guy to talk about that. But so okay. many people come and ask me questions. How do you get onto the D Star and do this or the DMR? I was like, I have no idea, man. <laughs> well, I I still don't understand D Star because I haven't studied it yet. But I am now well versed in DMR. So yeah, <clears throat> that's what I hear. So very good. Yeah. So yeah, no DMR specifically, but yeah, definitely D Star and Echo Link. We've been on there, um, tried to be on there actively. We were having some problems early on with the uh, connection between the repeater and uh, and Jambo. I moved Jambo over to uh, AWS just temporarily because it was wigging out over on DigitalOcean. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, <clears throat> it seems to be running fine right now. But yeah, uh, yeah. All right, very good. So try and contact anyone WJ while they're still there before Bill decides to go actually clean himself up and go home. <laughs> yeah. All right, excellent. So moving on from our, our, our uh, lead topic for the night, let's talk about some, well, more amateur radio because <laughs> that was all amateur radio. Um, the first thing we have under amateur radio topics is the RSGB is announcing new FT4 contests. Uh, the Radio Society of Great Britain the contest committee has announced a series of contests using the new digital mode FT4. The three short duration events on 80 meters, uh, 3575 USB, are aimed at offering experience to FT4 newcomers. Uh, the first one will be on Monday, September 2nd from 1900 to 1959 UTC, only 59 little minutes. So that should be all you need. You can probably make a thousand contacts. Uh, and then also uh, the Monday, October 7th, 1900 to 1959 UTC, and Monday, November 4th, from uh, 2000 to 2059 UTC, just because they want to be different, I guess. So anyway, check that out if you want to get some experience with FT4, if you don't have any already, and links to information from the ARRL and the RSGB will be in the show notes. Next, we have another story. Can you read this story? Me? Yeah, you. Sure. (laughs) Bill's, Bill's been talking a lot, so what, let, let, let him like take a breath, take a drink, and then you can read the story about an interesting topic. Okay. So our next topic is how did Mayday come to be used as a distress call? And so the Mayday call originated in the 1920s. A senior radio officer at London's Croydon Airport in London. Um, that's kind of, anyway. <laughs> Frederick Stanley Mockford was the first to use a signal to indicate emergency situations. Mockford was asked by his seniors to think of a word that would indicate distress and would easily be understood by all pilots and ground staff during an emergency. As much of the traffic at Croydon at the time was to and from Le Bourget Airport in Paris, Mockford proposed the expression Mayday, derived from the French word Maider, I believe, that means help me. No, actually, it's pronounced Mayday. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly well, enough. <laughs> gotcha. Which means help me and is a shortened form of Venet Mayday, which means come and help me. SOS for short for Save Our Souls, sent by Morse code, predates the use of Mayday. 
1927, the International Radio Telegraph Convention adopted May Day as the radio telephone distress call in place of SOS. And that story came from Eham linking to Live Mint. Okay, so didn't CQD precede SOS? No. Possibly, but it wasn't included in the story, so I didn't have that there. Okay, I was just curious. Because I'm pretty, well, this says that SOS started in 1927. Oh, no, 1927 mm-hmm. is when they adopted May Day. May Day. Um, but I'm pretty sure when the Titanic was going down, when they were telegraphing, like, the Carpathia or whatever, it, they were using CQD, not SOS. 1904 was CQD. Right. By the Marconi International Marine Telecommunication Company. All right. Well, there you go. <clears throat> well, maybe they could have used SOS. <laughs> It SOS is certainly a lot more <laughs> uh, recognizable <laughs> right. uh, than CQD, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I just thought the, I thought it was interesting. I didn't ever really, never really knew read what that the about May Day. Right. Yeah, no, it's, fu- that it's funny that it was French May Day. It's actually <laughs> 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 help me to help me. <laughs> so you're actually so you're not saying May Day M A Y D A Y. You're saying M apostrophe a-i-d-e-r you just don't know it, know it. Right. <laughs> right yeah the pronunciation is, is identical the same right yeah. okay yeah. so here's the thing cqd was effective beginning first february 19 our 1904 for marconi installations sos was effective the first of april 1905 <laughs> by the international radio telegraph convention so okay so there you go. That's interesting. Competing so, standards. Yeah, yeah competing yeah. standards. Well, I, I think I understand why SOS took off because CQD, no. <laughs> I mean, when yeah. you're when you're doing something in Morse code, you want it to be efficient, recognizable, blah, 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 blah. And SOS has that. <laughs> CQD, not so much. Not so much, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, moving on, we've got one more amateur radio topic for tonight, and that is capacitor selection and design for mag loop antennas bill yeah if you're interested in building your own mag loop and uh, a bit confused at the capacitor selection and types uh, this blog post here that I've, i found the other day from ki5 aif is a good summary of his trials and successes and errors uh, the short points to for the for the whole article is you know build or buy your capacitor first and then finish the rest of your loop design based upon that capacitor. I know a lot of people think, oh, just build the loop. It's the easy part. Yeah, that sort of is the easy part, but you find that right capacitor is, is normally the issue. Uh, and the other thing he mentioned is uh, use a vacuum variable capacitor. Those are those big, fancy, expensive ones. <laughs> From what I have experienced, many starting points with mag loops nearly all end with a purchase of a vacuum variable cap. Save yourself time and money spent on preliminary work and just buy the bite the bullet early. And yeah, that's because they're expensive. So uh, we have a link here to the KI5 AIF's uh, WordPress uh, blog. So check that out. Uh, it's a good resource if you're interested in building maglibs. All right. Very cool. I, I got to do more about learning antenna design because there's a, there's a whole world there. And I only, I've pretty much only ever operated long wires and dipoles. So I mean, I know of all the other kinds of antennas, just never really used them. I saw something the other day about um, a lawn, was it a lawn chair dipole? Something a lawn chair dipole. No, somebody, I've seen something. I saw something about that recently. Yeah, somebody apparently had plans or something for building a lawn chair dipole. Was that two lawn chairs separated by a, 
by coax. <laughs> I think it's one. I think it's. Uh, a, I would assume because I did not read the article that it would be taking one of those metal lawn chairs that, mm-hmm. that are made out of metal tubing and probably bending it or cutting it or both into uh, the shape of a dipole. Um, Already, right, right here is the story on it. it. Says this summer, don't miss the chance to set up your very own lawn chair dipole. Don Wilson N9ZGE rigged up a dipole using his SG239 smart tuner and two lawn chairs. He plays the SG239 on a pole, then ran wires from the RF hot and RF ground connections, one to each of the chairs. <laughs> Don reports that he not only made contacts with this antenna and his radio, but afterwards he had a place to sit down and rest while after, or for a while after all that work. Now you can DX from the park or even the beach. Yeah, and it's like our green lawn chair. Pretty sure you don't want to be sitting in the lawn chair when you're making those contacts. He has but. the picture he has here has a chair sitting on what looks like a picnic table. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about and, all kinds of weird antennas on the show before. We've talked about antennas that were like miles long. We've talked about antennas made out of cattle fencing. Now lawn chairs. Yeah, whatever. Apparently, if it's if it's <laughs> resonant on some frequency, a ham will try and transmit through it. <laughs> you gotta uh, do what you got to do. Yeah, I guess so. All right, moving on to some open source topics. The first one is Core Control, a new FOSS Linux tool to help you control your PC with applications, profiles, fan, clock, and power control. Core Control aims to be flexible, comfortable, and accessible to regular users. That's you and me, regular users. You can use it to automatically configure your system with a program to, oh, when a program. No, use it to, please. Okay. I put my glasses back on. No, just kidding. <laughs> you can use it to automatically configure your system when a program is launched. Works for Windows applications too. I guess that's important. It doesn't matter what the program is, a game, a 3D modeling application, a video editor, or even a compiler. It offers you full hardware control per application. The actual version of Core Control automatically applies profiles for native and Windows applications, has basic CPU controls, and full AMD GPU control for both old and new models. The goal is to support as much hardware as possible, even from other vendors. So please see future work for more details. And a link to the GitLab project, Core Control, which is C-O-R-E-C-T-R-L, will be in the show notes if this is something that interests you. All right. Let's see. Can Cheryl handle this next one? Merge branch fro- uh, floppy? I'm going to guess no. Bill, merge yeah. branch floppy. <laughs> yeah, so the merge branch floppy. So from a branch commit in Linus's branch of Linux, an actual working physical floppy hardware is getting hard to find. This is this is his notes. Uh, and while Willie was able to test this, I think the driver can be considered pretty much dead from an actual hardware standpoint. The hardware that is still sold seems to be mainly USB-based, which doesn't require this legacy driver at all. So, is the floppy dead? Or should we say, long live the floppy? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming this is going to get merged in. I, I, you know, it's much like CD-ROM drives at this point. You know, when's the last time you saw a CD-ROM drive actually in a in a laptop? Or you know, I guess desktops maybe still come with a burner or something like that for uh, for giggles. But, Mine doesn't. Uh, but since most most computers, you know, there's, you buy everything digitally anyway, so nobody buys any media. I so. think, let's see, no, your computer your computer has an optical drive, and it also has a, like, a media card reader. Where is it? It's underneath the, 
the door. The front. Oh, is there a door on the front? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, uh, yeah, I can't imagine using a floppy anymore for for anything. I know some people are mentioning that. Oh God, I got this recovery, you know, recovery system or whatever. <laughs> it's like it's time to retire that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I mean, obviously, no, you can no still laptops. have an old kernel. <laughs> yeah. No laptops come with with floppies anymore. At least not that I'm aware of. And very rarely do they come with optical drives anymore. So. In fact, this I have a little desktop PC right here that I'm using in my shack, and it has it happens to have an optical drive, but it also has like a SD card reader uh, just built right into it. So, and those are handy. Actually, the HP laptops, even though they're junk, they have a SD card reader too. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And I'm sitting here looking at a boxes of floppies <laughs> that have family pictures on them that we'll probably never get. Yeah, off that's going to be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I better start getting those onto the web or something. Too. Yeah, we have to figure out how to do that. How to do that? Yeah, I'm not sure. We we probably have some hardware around here that has that has a floppy disk in it, but yeah, we'll have to dig around. Yeah. Oh. All right. So, say la vie, say la floppy, say yeah. la floppy. All right. Anyway, so that's uh, the end of our open source topics, and now we're moving on to our Linux in the Ham Shack segment. And Bill put in here that he wants me to talk about DMR, since I'm like apparently now a DMR guru or something. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I definitely know a hell of a lot more about DMR than I did a month ago. I can tell you that. Um, it started with a project where I just wanted to get into DMR because I was tired of everybody talking about DMR and not having any idea what they're talking about. So... I decided to jump into it. It's a, DMR is like a it's a European communication spec. Um, I'm not going to dig through all the information. Oh, what was that? Applause? Fire? What? Okay, did Bill not hear did that? Did you not hear that? No. What was that? I don't know. It sounded like I don't know because it sounded like clapping or yeah, something a- burning. I'm not sure. Oh, oh that might have been me. Was it this? Oh yeah, Maybe, that that. yeah. Oh okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was throwing away my trash here. Sorry, I had my I had my crackers and my and my bag of nuts for lunch, so I was Aww. snacking on them. Yeah. All right. So so I want to talk a little bit about the setup that I have, and I want to talk a little bit about DMR, but I want to do it without making this a treatise or a deep dive into DMR because that really should be in a deep dive episode. But unfortunately, when you talk about DMR, it gets pretty deep pretty quick (laughs) (laughs) well let me just talk about the hardware that you bought and kind of what you did yeah that's that's basically what i'm going to do i'm going to try and touch on some of some of how dmr works um when i do that but without getting into a deep dive we will actually do a a really good deep dive on dmr at, at, at a future episode so what i did what i bought initially was a zumspot uh rpi3 hat it's just a little board with a SMC antenna connector on it. It's UHF, so it operates on 70 centimeters. It has, I believe, a 10 milliwatt output, and it's created to turn a Raspberry Pi 3 into a DMR hotspot. Now, a DMR hotspot can be thought of like an Echolink simplex node. So it would be a computer running software for DMR that you connect to a board that has a radio frequency driver, so it's a transceiver and can link your RF communication on DMR to the intertubes. Um, The nice part about it is it uses a Raspberry Pi. It can also use a Raspberry Pi Zero, but I chose the Raspberry Pi version. 
And they also have a version that comes with a little TFT LCD screen that attaches to it. So you can actually see DMR information right on your Raspberry Pi while it's operating. I opted to not get that option. Uh, it wasn't that much more. I think it was only 20 or 30 bucks. But the version that I did get allows me to add that later if I want it. But I've been monitoring all the DMR activity on the hotspot via the web. It has a web-based interface. And so I didn't need the little TFT screen. And I'm not usually sitting near where the hotspot is anyway. So the screen seemed kind of useless to me. Um, now, the software I'm using is a software that was mentioned on the show. Rich, when our you know former co-host called in and said, we need to talk to Andy Taylor, Mike Whiskey Zero, Mike Whiskey Zulu, who is the maintainer of the Pi Star application. And this is kind of what started me down the road of DMR. Um, so with that information in hand, I went out and got the hotspot. I paid 100 bucks for it. And I already had a Raspberry Pi 3 here in the house. So I put the hat on it, installed, you know, downloaded and installed the Pi Star image, uh, watched a YouTube video or two or 20 <laughs> uh, on how to set up and configure Pi Star. Uh, got all of that working and then had to figure out how DMR worked. Now, the first, the first hurdle I, I came to was the fact that the hotspot is just a hotspot. I was mistakenly under the impression the or the impression that if i had this hotspot that there would be a computer-based interface into the system so i could use for example a sound card like a you know wind modem type thing to actually talk dmr but as far as i can tell that doesn't exist now this is a quick diversion to say that if that actually does exist somebody please tell me <laughs> Uh, but as far as I can tell, it doesn't. So the hotspot creates an RF gateway, basically a simplex link. Now there are duplex, yeah, there are duplex boards that you can get, MMDVM boards that allow you to set up a Raspberry Pi in roughly equivalent to repeater operation. Um, it's half duplex, but it works like a repeater. So simplex node just allows you to connect RF to a DMR gateway, and then you just talk using a radio well i bought the hotspot but i didn't have a radio so my investment immediately doubled <laughs> uh, because i had to buy a radio and you need to buy a radio that does dmr if you're going to do this now the one that i chose to buy is the titera md380 uh, these are branded tyt these days um, they used to be called something else um, or there is another company that made the same exact radio, but I bought the MD 380 and I spent like $95 on it. And mine came with, you know, a high capacity battery, a charger, programming cable, programming software, and such and so forth. Uh, didn't seem bad for $95. So, so I had the hardware in hand. Finally, I had my hotspot all set up, went through the Pi star configuration and then I had to learn everything there is to know about DMR because you have to understand it all before you can do anything. Um, I, I found out really quickly that you can't half-ass your way into understanding DMR. You, you, have to, you have to have that moment where you've come to complete understanding about how the entire system works before you can do step one. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that I can do a YouTube video series on the Linux and the Hamshack channel that actually explains how I came 
to my closure and knowledge about how DMR works so I can uh, make it easier for other people to do it as well. Because it is not like picking up a handy talkie, pressing the PTT, and talking. There's way more to it than that. And that's why there's going to be a deep dive episode and hopefully some YouTube videos that walk this through. Now, there are YouTube videos and stuff that, that outline this as well, but I found I had to watch quite a few of them to get the whole picture. So let's see, how do I do this without going into the whole thing? Anyway, so basically what you do is you have to set up these, these radios. The, the configuration of DMR is not complex like brain surgery, but complex enough that you can't really program a DMR radio without using a computer because there are so many things you have to configure just to get it running, just to get a single station, you know, onto your radio so that you can talk to anyone requires some real work. <laughs> but the point is that once you've jumped that hurdle, it's there's kind of like a real steep learning curve. But when, once you've crested that hill, then it's all downhill from there. But you do have to have a programmer for, for the radio and you do you do have to program it using a computer not using the radio itself it would be practically impossible to to program dmr on the radio so um without going into everything you have to set up basically the way it works is you have to go to a website uh the, the dmr mark service dmrmarc and you have to get an i uh an id uh, similar to like a node ID on Echolink, you have to have an ID in the DMR system. That's the very first thing you have to do. If you don't have a DMR ID, you can't use DMR. And you do have to be a licensed amateur in order to get a DMR ID. You have to actually send them a copy, not not a physical copy, but a, like a picture of your actual amateur radio license. They will then issue you an ID. And I believe... Anything you get nowadays will be a seven-digit ID starting with three. Uh, if you're in the United States, I believe that varies by country or area. Uh, my DMR ID is 3144897. So the system knows me by that ID. You have to program that ID and your call sign into PyStar in order to get PyStar, the hotspot, to actually do something. Um, and then there's a lot of other configuration that will be talked about in a future episode. But... Once you've done that, then, and once you've got your radio set up, you have um, connection to either individuals, which are called personal calls, where you can connect your DMR ID to directly to someone else's DMR ID, whether RF or internet completely. And that is just like a person-to-person -person call. That will go through the system. And that actually has a, like a BBS type setup where there's a mailbox for uh, sending and retrieving uh, messages and things like that. Or you can connect to chat rooms or what in the DMR world are called talk groups. Uh, there, are, there are two large DMR networks. There's the DMR Plus network and the Brandmeister network. Um, they're, they're sort of kind of coordinated these days, and they tend to align their talk group numbers equivalently. So no matter which one you're connected to, you should know what the talk group numbers are. Um, and there's a list. You can just go on the web and search them. For example, talk group number 91 is called Worldwide. And that is basically, if you connect to talk group 91, you will likely hear people using DMR from anywhere in the world. 
And then there are lots of other more specific talk groups. There are ones for states, regions, countries. Uh, there's one for maritime. There's one, I mean, there's several for MCOM. There's stuff like that. And you, like you said, you, you know, in order to use these talk groups or know which ones you want to use, you just go to the Brandmeister or the DMR Plus network sites and look them up. They'll tell you what's what. So once you know what your groups are and you have your radios programmed and you have your little hotspot at home, or you have access to a DMR-enabled repeater somewhere near you, uh, you can key up on one of those talk groups. You can talk to somebody in a private call from, you know, from your DMR repeater through the internet to somewhere else on the internet. It'll come out RF on some other repeater, on some other hotspot, uh, or some other radio. So in a way, it's like all of the other digital services like Echolink and DSTAR, Yezu System Fusion. And in fact, all of these systems have ways to cross-link. You can do DMR to DSTAR or DSTAR to Fusion or Fusion to DMR or whatever. But that part of the, the world I have not gotten into yet. DMR is, because it's digital, there's no essentially no QRM or QRN. Um, there can be bit errors in transmissions, depending on how good the connection is between a repeater and a radio or something like that, but you're never going to get, you know, noise. You might get some audio dropouts or garbled, um, you know, phrases, things like that. But for the most part, signals are pretty pure and the, you know, the little Zumspot hotspot, and there's lots of different hotspots. There's MMDVM hotspots. There's, uh, many more than I can't think of. Hopefully I'll get links to all those in the show notes so you can, you know, choose the one that's right for you. But, once you know once you get your radio once you're connected to it and once you sort of understand how dmr works it's a pretty cool system and i personally used a special hacked firmware for the titera md380 it's called what do they call it md380 tools with a z and if you if you flash your md380 with that it gives you a whole bunch of extra functionality and it also allows you to download the entire DMR ID database into your radio so that when somebody keys up and your radio displays the DMR ID, instead of just showing the, the number, it actually does a lookup for the table in your radio and shows you the call sign, the name, the location, and everything else about the, that contact uh, right on your radio, which is pretty neat. Because you definitely don't get that in other systems. Um, so you can just like pop on to talk group 91 and if somebody is talking, you just look at your radio and you know exactly who's talking. You don't have to, you know, because all that information is sent in the transmission. Uh, you don't have to wait for them to ID or anything like that. You just know who it is. Um, I'm, I'm finding DMR pretty interesting. I was, I actually programmed a zone for a local repeater as well. So that when I'm not at the house, I can use DMR. Uh, from one of the two repeaters that are in a nearby town that, that are actually DMR enabled. And I was actually able to listen to the North America talk group, uh, through a repeater on my little DMR handheld. And that was pretty cool. And even though I was in the car with one watt connected to a repeater, all of the connections to me or all of the connections I was listening to, uh, were a hundred percent crystal clear digital audio. There's a, because of the codec, there's a little bit of, you know, roboting and stuff every now and then, but it's so nice to hear super clear audio. And, and of course I was listening to North America. So I was hearing stations from Oregon and New Jersey and, and all over North America 
on my little handy talkie uh, using a local repeater. So I got to say, I'm really digging DMR. Um, it's, it's only one of the digital communication technologies that's out there. I'm hoping to learn as much about D-Star and System Fusion and NXDN and P25 and all the other ones that are out there as, as well. Uh, but DMR is the one I chose to you know start with. And it turns out the Zumspot has the ability to do uh, all of those modes. It can do it can do DMR, D-Star, Yuzu System Fusion, P25, and NXDN. It can do all of them. So if you have any of those radios or any device that can operate on any of those modes, the Zumspot can be a hotspot for it. And it can also do cross-licking. But that's going to be something for a later topic because I have not dived into that yet. So on the Zoom spot, uh-huh. um, did it come with its own like prepackaged OS to load on your Raspberry Pi? No, that's what Pi Star is. Pi Star is the is the OS. Oh, okay. So you loaded Pi Star, and and that that took care of that all controls, the configuration. Right. It's pre-configured for a whole bunch of different um, hats and uh, other MMD DVM devices, USB ones, etc. And what about the that like uh, is that like a Raspbian as well or uh, I, I believe it's based on Raspbian yes um, okay. but it presents everything as a web interface you don't oh, okay you don't you don't have to get into the OS pretty much at all I did because I I wanted to set up a static IP address on my Pi but yeah. that's the only thing I had to do through the CLI everything else is controlled by the web GUI awesome awesome and if you have a you know a uh, Wi-Fi enabled Pi, which I do. Um, you set it up initially by connecting to it through a physical connection, and then it allows you to set up the Wi-Fi. You enable the Wi-Fi, and then you never have to touch the Pi again. You put it somewhere; it's Wi-Fi enabled. You connect to it, and you do everything through the GUI. Nice. Yep. And it even monitors the system. It gives you like CPU temp, uh, CPU load, all that stuff right through the GUI. So while you're monitoring your you know, your digital connections and seeing who's talking and everything else, because it gives you a list. It shows you who's coming in through the RF, who's coming in through the network, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it also gives you the opportunity to sort of see how your Pi is performing as well. So. Interesting. Interesting. So that runs for like, what, 140 bucks or something like that? Uh, I I paid $100 for the Zoom spot. Oh, okay. Um, you can get a Zoom spot. That was spot. on Prime Day, though, wasn't it? No, no, no. Oh. You can get a Zoom spot that has a um, that is the Zoom spot itself with a Raspberry Pi Zero and the TFT screen for like 149 bucks. So oh, that's okay. that's like everything all together, and I believe it already comes with Pi Star on it. Ah, uh, that's what I was looking at here. Yeah, uh, that's the that's like the complete solution. Okay, <laughs> okay uh, so that this you just bought the actual board itself. I just bought the board because I already had a Pi Three. I wasn't doing anything with, and I didn't feel like I needed the LCD screen because I'm never at the hotspot when I'm using it. I'm always doing it through my radio. So, cool, cool. Oh and, yeah, it's interesting, interesting use. Hmm. Yeah, and if you have if you have any digital radio, like let's say you have a D Star radio. Um, or a, or a Yezu System Fusion radio. Um, it can do any of them. It doesn't have to be DMR. It just happens to be that that's what I started with. So I could have bought a Zoom spot and a D Star rig, and and done and gone that way. But I didn't. <laughs> oh, did you go away? No, no, no. no okay. I just no. <laughs> now the gateway. The gateway can like you can have the Zoom spot on all of those modes. Yeah. All the time. But if you don't have a radio to decode them. It's kind of useless to you. Uh, uh, 
So how far away can you get from the Zoom spot? Um, I got to tell you, surprisingly far. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I tested this out the other day. I got about three quarters of a mile from my Zoom spot and was still able to use it. Wowzers. And it's only a 10 milliwatt. 10 milliwatt. Yep. Well, cool. Another good use for a Raspberry Pi. Yep, absolutely. I, I mean, I literally had the thing sitting on the shelf for probably a year, maybe more. And this came along and I was like, oh, hell yes, I, I can now use my pie for something. <laughs> and it, it has been flawless. It really has. Um, it's sitting up on there, there on the shelf. And anytime I want to kick on DMR and listen to calls from all around the world, I just uh, connect to Talk Group 91 and they all start flooding in. I've heard calls from places I didn't know existed. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. So it's really cool. Well, anyway, so that that's that's like a real real super high level overview because i mean dmr specifically you can get way way down into it and when once you get to configuring a radio there there really is a a point where you've got to have a little moment and and everything sort of comes together because until you have that moment none of it makes any sense at all (laughs) um because it uses some digital technologies that are in the commercial space like time division multiplexing and it also uses what are called color codes, which are the DMR equivalent of PL tones. But if you just come across all these all this terminology, like time slots and color codes and blah, 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 and you have never heard this stuff before, um, it, it gets frustrating quickly. So I hope to uh, do, some, do a deep dive and do some YouTube videos that take some of that frustration away. So the frustration that I felt. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that is all I have to say for DMR today. Uh, we were we're definitely going to revisit it though, um, because there's lots to be said about it. And since I already have the hotspot and it can do all those other modes, I may just figure out some way to uh, like, you know, activate D Star and then figure out the world of D Star as well. So we'll get to that when we get to that. And in the meantime, that's pretty much the end of the show. So we've come down to the social media roundup, and we'll let Cheryl take this one. Alrighty then. So for this time, for our Patreons, we have Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Rutter, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. For our subscriptions, we have Michael Bradak, Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Weekman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have John Litz, Russ Banta, Steve Carr, Stephen Lester, and Marty Puckett. For uh, for Twitter, we have at Michael P. Nash, at The Goose Milk, at Brian Garber, at W. Creek Elder Law, at KN6DAF, at Morse Vibes, at Circle 37, at Alfonso145, and at Randy Nose. On YouTube, we have Michael Dye, The Martorius, and Jorge Suarez. Uh, nobody on the mailing list. And for merchandise sales, we have Scott Meyer. Yes, and I would like to say to Scott Meyer that we have been so busy here that I did not see your order come in. It, it came in on the 26th of June. Hey. 
Um, yeah, but we have been crazy busy around here. So the order was for a USB stick. So I'm going to get in contact with Scott Meyer. I'm going to find out what he wants on this USB stick. And he's going to get a USB stick for free (laughs) because that's only fair. I mean, so I apologize for not even getting around to this and didn't see, you know, not seeing it for a month. Uh, it's pretty much unacceptable. So, uh, you'll get a, you'll get a free USB stick and probably some other things too. (laughs) All right. So. But thank you, everybody, for uh, becoming a subscriber and supporting the program by being a listener uh, or financially. If you're a Patreon or a PayPal subscriber, we appreciate that. It helps keep the lights on and keep us going and doing the thing we do. And with that, I think we're going to close down episode number 293 of Linux in the Hamshack. And we'll say we hope everybody has a good week and we'll do it all again next Monday when it comes around. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm waiting. Oh, wait, no, never mind. I'm Bill, <laughs> NA4073. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8 pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at urlbctsinfo LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.